On today's episode, we have Ryan Bruchette joining us. We're going to be talking about male body image, um, and specifically within the black community. He has a lot of info to share, a lot of insight, um, a lot of his own story, and so I'm excited for you guys to hear from him. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the podcast today. Um, I have a very special guest joining me today. It's my good friend, Ryan. Um, A lot of you probably don't know who he is, but you will get to know him on this podcast. And we're going to be talking about black body image. um, And you might even be wondering, what the heck does that mean? Um, And so good, that's why we're here. So we're going to describe it and explain it. And Ryan's going to share a little bit about his experience, a little bit about his thoughts. Um, And yeah, Ryan's a pastor, so he has a pastoral heart, but also he is... I won't use the word woke because <laughs> I feel like that's <laughs> I feel like that's overused. Oh yes, but he is th- he is thoughtful and articulate. Um, so anyway, Ryan, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into our topic today? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so yep, my name is Ryan Bruchette. I am a pastor of junior high in Mesa, Arizona. I've been friends with uh, Colton for a hot minute now, and um, yeah, I uh, pastor primarily in uh, Mesa, Arizona. That's where I'm at, and um, I teach the Bible and grow volunteer staff. <laughs> Good job, and, pastor. Yeah, I know, dude. And uh, hang out with my uh, junior high students and, and student ministry staff. I do a little bit of men's ministry. I also get to help uh, shape a um, group for men that are trying to walk away from unwanted sexual behavior with our marriage and family pastor. And um, yeah, I play a lot of music, uh, have a little bit of an EP out. I'm not going to put a push here. <laughs> Um, I'm not going to do that. Used uh, to be in a punk band called No Big Deal. Yeah, uh, we no were the deal. dopest. Yeah, and um, yeah, I, I love all things weightlifting. Um, I love music, <laughs> snowboarding, being outside, all the goods, yeah. all your stereotypical black man things that I just listed. Um, I love those. Yeah. So even if you're sitting here right now, like, wow, he doesn't he doesn't sound yeah. black. Here you go. Yeah, that that sounds like a lot of white things, Ryan. Punk band. White things. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, But yeah, Yeah. I went to GCU, uh, Grand Canyon University, for an undergrad and a master's in business. Go Uh, I did theology and and then uh, business, and now I'm currently enrolled at Talbot online for a master's of arts in New Testament. So, yep, all the worlds combined. Good, good. I'm glad you got a little bit of everything. Um, so someone listening to this right now might be wondering. Why are we isolating black male body image as a topic? Um, isn't male body image enough for one thing? Um, don't we all kind of experience the world in the same way? <laughs> um, obviously, I don't agree with that. <laughs> you could tell by my laughter. Uh, but yeah, Ryan, for true. someone listening yeah. to this, why why is it specific? Like, why are we specifically talking about black male body image? Why does that matter compared to just talking about the whole umbrella of male body image? Right. So, so one of the beautiful things about shifting our thinking, shifting our paradigms as we want to think compassionately about humans is that even male representation needs to be addressed ethnically. Uh, and, um, I, I could even argue biologically with melanin, uh, because one of the things Mm -hmm. that we see is that in our culture, predominantly when we think about men, um, we don't always say men with a certain background, gender, or not gender, background or ethnicity, um, to to make it more specific, uh, especially in conversations like this. And so I believe highlighting uh, the black male body image experience is a really good thing to do because one of the things that if you live in a uh, uh, homogenous or or mainly white area, uh, like I do. Mainly white. 
white, right? Uh, you, you don't ever really think about even how you look affecting a room, affecting mm-hmm. your social circles, affecting mm-hmm. how you do church, affecting mm-hmm. how people see you, uh, how your expressiveness comes across. Um, mm-hmm. There's so much to say about what America stereotypes for the black male and not just him, but his body mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really hard uh, to always keep that in the forefront, especially if you don't come from that kind of experience. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. me as a black man, um, one of the first things you'll hear is like, oh, he's black. Uh, he's 5'10". He's uh, 178. Uh, he's probably an athlete. Uh, he's probably <laughs> fast. Uh, he, 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 he needs to be able to jump high. Yep. He needs to be able to uh, be really strong. Mm-hmm. He needs to have quickness. And, and mm-hmm. it can't just be like, I'm long distance quick unless I'm Kenyan and really tall. <laughs> but no, it's to be like this explosive, I'm a running back or mm-hmm. I'm a cornerback. Mm-hmm. Uh, I need to be able to shoot a three at all times, even if mm-hmm. I don't play basketball. Uh, <laughs> if I play baseball, I got to hit dingers and yeah. I have to throw really well. And yeah. I need to speak Spanish because I'm probably Dominican. Um, <laughs> if I play soccer, then I'm European black and we can get into a whole nother thing about that. Yeah. Um, and either way, I'm supposed to dominate in all things physical uh with my body like that's just a that's just in a, mm-hmm. a reality mm-hmm. for us um and and even though not everybody is going to say that that's true uh i can tell you so many times uh being a junior high kid or being a high school kid in mesa arizona where i am mm-hmm. um, and for those and, of you who don't know mesa arizona is very white um, yes especially in the area that ryan and i are from it's east mesa it's a very white um, community. I wouldn't. I don't know any estimations about the number of population, um, but it's a very white area. Ryan was the only uh, black guy I think I knew in my high school youth group. Um, yes, I'm pretty positive. Um, yep. So that kind of and it's not like my church was just extremely white. It was a very normal, average type church um, for the area. So when Ryan's speaking about this, <laughs> about being yep. uh, experiencing himself as a black male, and that's maybe different than the rest of the community around him. This is from personal experience. This isn't just something he's conjured up or made up. Um, this is very right. much his life. Right. Absolutely. And so uh, in the locker room or walking around at school, uh, I was always with my just with my body being uh, typecasted. And so one of the things that would always happen. Is hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> okay. So at the studio right now, we have my other friend named Trent because um, he just wanted to listen in. But he just pulled up a stat for me. Oh, this is nice. I have like a stat guy. Um, in Mesa, stat Arizona, guy. for those of you who are wondering, uh, it's 64% white, 26% Hispanic, and 3% black. So what up? that will kind of show baby. you. <laughs> the <made> three... <laughs> Let's go. You, you are one of the 3%. You're probably the 1% of the 3%. Um, so anyway. There's my stat guy. I'm glad he's in the studio. Um, but Ryan, continue. But just to give yeah. you even more of an emphasis for those listening, this this is not a made up thing. This is three percent black in this whole community of about six hundred thousand plus people. Right. We're not trying to sob story here. We're just trying to be real. And so uh, one of the things that I always uh, experienced was my my level of blackness and whether I was even black in my body depended mm-hmm. on my athletic ability a lot of the time and my hair. So uh, mm-hmm. a more black style for my hair, for all of my white friends or white acquaintances in uh, Mesa, Arizona growing up was if I had a fro, that was like a really <laughs> black haircut. Like that was black. And, and Ryan, you should have a fro. It, it's awesome. You and you know what's be- funny is that I actually did kind of have a fro in early high school, and I was constantly asked by white people fixed, right? if I was half black. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
for sure. And that's why we locked eyes from across the room. And became <laughs> <laughs> it was the, the curly hair, the curly hair so, connection. You know what it is. Um, and so, so my fro would would be a determination of blackness in my body, and then my athletic ability for any given play, uh, whether that was in track or in football um, or lifting weights. My athletic ability, if I ran if I ran a good route playing football or if I blocked well, it's because I was black. If I made a sick shot playing basketball, it was because I was black. If I was fast in a sprint, it was because I was black. But that was also used against me. My not black enoughness, according to all of the white athlete friends or acquaintances that I had, was also determined upon my, my failures in certain mm-hmm. sports. And so mm-hmm. if I wasn't if my body wasn't really being the blackest it could be, then I wasn't, uh, I was a fumbling, or I was fumbling, or I mm-hmm. wasn't running fast mm-hmm. enough, or uh, I, I didn't really understand basketball well enough to yeah. play with everybody. You didn't understand and the so, routes. You didn't understand the game plan. Maybe you didn't, right. it was maybe a more right. cognitive uh, mishap. Uh-huh. You fumbled because you weren't focusing strong enough. Yeah, exactly. So there was just this expectation, and you kind of got it even from coaches. There was just this expectation that I would, be an all-star because I was one of the only black kids. And so when that didn't happen, everybody's cognitive understanding of, wait, but black, NFL, NBA, track star, what's Mm -hmm. happening? And so that was always a really weird thing to wrestle with with my body because I would go home and try to uh, process that out with my older brother or with my dad. And it wasn't much of a conversation as much of it was like, well, hey, man, uh, uh, my older brother once was like, hey, dude, I'll just go beat somebody up. Uh, and, and I love that as a yeah. as just like a young brother to be like, yes, my older brother's got my back. Um, this this is great. Uh, but with my dad, uh, who's kind of in and out of my house, uh, that's kind of a stereotypical assessment. <laughs> I can't lie. Uh, he was kind of in and out of yeah. my house until I was in, until I got to junior high years. It wasn't much of a conversation. It just kind of became this antagonistic sort of, well, they're just angry white kids and there's really mm-hmm. nothing you can do about mm-hmm. it. It wasn't really a conversation. And so yeah. it left me in a weird place because you can't really separate, as much as we try to, uh, your day-to-day identity from your body. And so mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. the male body, the black male body is a, is easily turned into either an asset or a commodity before it's turned into just a human who happens mm-hmm. to express humanity in a certain form of DNA that God has allowed uh, in space and time to create, to represent his image. Mm-hmm. And so walking around feeling like either a commodity or a good product or a bad product was a really hard thing to internally wrestle with uh, as a junior higher and a high school, especially in a predominantly white area. And then I didn't start thinking deely and getting angry until I was around 16, 17, 18, um, mm-hmm. which is also when I started to begin to process my parents' divorce subconsciously, which happened when I was 14. Mm-hmm. Um, so. All that to say, the black male body reality yep. is a fascinating thing. And I could talk yeah. about Hollister. I could talk about uh, <laughs> American people. I could talk about certain, certain things you would see when you'd go to the mall or when you would go shopping. And, and it would be this kind of existential crisis of, do I wear a form-fitted shirt because I'm actually starting to fill out uh, and, and grow and gain some muscle? Or do I... Uh, go to my black roots and wear Echo and go to mm-hmm. uh, South Pole, or do I wear, you know, um, skater clothes but big ones? Because mm-hmm. Lupe Fiasco mm-hmm. came out, thick push coat. <laughs> Lupe. And so skating now okay in black community, yeah. but I couldn't wear tight jeans. I had to wear baggy ones to skate. And so, yeah. what 
all of those things growing up as a 14, 15, 13-year-old was so weird uh, to, to see. But at the same time, it forced me to really sit and actually think um, instead of running away from that. I've had mm-hmm. friends who uh, in, in Mesa, and we've seen this. Um, I'm not going to name names, but I'm going to give us – uh, am, I, am I rambling too much or can I keep going? No, you're this? good. You keep going. I, I'm going to move us somewhere in a second yeah. because right. I, that's where we want to go. But this is a really good foundation because a lot yeah. of people are probably thinking, well, I mean, white male body image is complicated yeah. too. But there's a, sure. when you're a, a minority in a predominantly one homogenous type place, it's just more complicated. And if anyone wants to disagree with me, that's fine. But mm-hmm. the reality is if you talk to anyone who fits yeah. that description, they're going to say it's more complicated. When you walk into a room – you're more aware of how you're presenting yourself. You're more aware of what you're wearing. You're more aware of how people are perceiving you. And this yeah. is your story. And so it's important for us who are maybe the predominant population in a certain given area. So especially if you're a white male in Mesa or in other areas that's predominantly white to right. understand what my brother or sister or someone, a person of color is actually experiencing as they're coming into this white homogenous community. So this is good. So, so for keep sure, going. for sure. Yeah, so just just a little bit more for for everybody listening to enter into my world a little bit. Uh, one of the things that I saw when I went to Fremont Junior High and Red Mountain High School was about three types of black kids that were wrestling, and and I'm included in these three types. Uh, I'll I'll use uh, Josh for example. This is a made up name. Josh was the kid <laughs> who didn't want to be black anymore in the mm-hmm. sea of white kids, and mm-hmm. so Josh would would disassociate from any cultural awareness or historical awareness of being black in America. And instead of celebrating his blackness or understanding or seeking to find a, a, a cohesion of blackness, but being in the suburbs, that's primarily white. It was just a dismissal. And so no more listening to rap, no more baggy clothes. Uh, I'm going to only listen to rock and I'm going to profess that really I'm a, a, a white man in a black body. I've heard things mm-hmm, like that before mm-hmm. from both Hispanic kids, Asian kids, black kids and or so even Josh, like the oreo right. the oreo analogy right taking the like oreo, yeah which i've got my whole freaking life colton and you know this like <laughs> oh, always go oh ryan's not really black yeah he's and white he, on the inside but black on the outside, on the outside. yeah because yeah. the white kids get to tell you how to be black that's how it works here <laughs> um, and so so then you had josh who wanted to dismiss his blackness and then you had um let's go ahead and say uh zach all right uh so so zach was the stud athlete right Mm-hmm. Zach was the kid who was all the things that I told you that I wasn't always mm-hmm. as a black male. And so because of his reputation and his black male body image to fit the athletic stereotype, he could have the cool, rich, white friends. Mm-hmm. He started on the football team. They, mm-hmm. He had clout. And he was able to date girls mm-hmm. like cheerleaders and mm-hmm. popular girls mm-hmm. that were primarily white or mixed race white uh, and Hispanic uh, that are um, uh, here in Mesa. And so he was accepted on the basis of him conforming to the black male body image that is, like I said earlier, an asset or, mm-hmm. or something that mm-hmm. is a um, uh, product that, that increases that stereotype that is supposed to be beneficial for sports or for whatever the community wants. And so mm-hmm. Zach had acceptance primarily based around his athletic ability and his mm-hmm. clout. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. there's the Ryans. And so <laughs> Ryan's like, yo, I'm kind of okay at everything, but not really good at anything. <laughs> I like music and sports and I have diversified interests and I follow Jesus. So what, what does that look like? And I uh, and the friends that did this and the few conversations that I had with friends that were Hispanic and Asian, we would sit down and be like, okay, well, 
I understand my his, my historical narrative. I understand how uh, being black and, and this body that I'm in is good. And yet at the same time, I don't have to choose to live into a stereotype just because all the white kids want me to fit into their mm-hmm. box. So mm-hmm. I can argue that Jimi Hendrix plays guitar and be a guitar player, but then I also listen to Sum 41 and Blink-182. Mm-hmm. I can argue that I can follow Jesus and an evangelical free church and actually follow him and recognize my identity is rooted in him. But at the same time, I love the fact that I'm black and I'm going to mm-hmm. talk. About mm-hmm. And so there was this middle road that I love to help kids, especially when ethnic kids come into our youth group here at Red Mountain Community Church, where I work in Mesa, Arizona, to, to walk them through, man, how do you think and feel about your ethnicity? And, and what is that like for you? And give them permission to work that through, because that's something that I've been working through my mm-hmm. whole life. So that is a little yeah. bit of the world that I lived in. Well, and people, people who may be listening to this and may be thinking, <clears throat> why, are, why are you identifying, why are you using the word black so much? Why is that becoming like an identity marker for you? And it's like, well, I've said several times on the podcast and talked about my Italianness and how I love pizza right. and the stereotypes of, you know, mamma mia, pepperoni pizza. And, <laughs> you know, there's different oh, things dude. about my Italianness. Well, aren't I... you actually Sicilian? Though? <laughs> I mean, that's true. I, my grandfather, <laughs> if he's listening to this, would be really mad. He's like, we're not Italian, we're Sicilian, um, which oh, is a whole other subset. Um, but there, there's something about that where I could identify as an Italian and no right. one would be saying, Colton, why aren't you just finding your identity in Christ? Why are you using your national ethnic heritage as another right. marker for yourself to describe yourself when really right. I don't you know we don't see color here we're we're all the same we're one race the human race and I mean there's there's parts of that that's true I mean we right. are all connected we are all the human race but there's nothing wrong with you know taking you know some worth in other things outside of Jesus Jesus is a foundation right. he is your main identity nothing and no one can take that from you but it's right. kind of the foundation which we build blocks upon of, you know, I'm Italian, I'm an artist, I'm a musician, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm this. And for some reason, when it comes to the black community, I feel like a lot of maybe the white community and the broader community at large will not allow black Christians to identify as black Christians. They are just Christians. Right. They are not black right. Christians. But I'm, I'm an Italian Christian. Like, right. <laughs> it describes my cultural heritage mm-hmm. and my, you know— my new kingdom heritage. Um, it's kind right. of showing you the, the duplicity of, you know, the flesh and soul, the body and spirit, the, the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of man right now. It's, it's a way of describing Absolutely. yourself, and there's nothing wrong with it. Um, anyway, to sum that all up, you might be wondering, Colton, this is a sexuality podcast, so why are we talking <laughs> about race? Um, and the reason we started here um, and where we're moving is that you needed to see that so that when we dive into the matter of how Ryan sees himself in relationship to like attractive cultural norms, sexual cultural mm-hmm. norms, you have to start with the foundation of body, um, and then we can move to how he sees himself. Right. So that's why this is we're filming this episode is not just because we want to have a race episode because that's right. cool and that's hip, um, sure. but because Ryan and he's going to get to this fundamentally has to view himself probably in a different way as a black man in relationship to the white culture um, because. There's not necessarily that many black Brad Pitts that all these white girls are oogling their eyes over, <laughs> um, although there is examples. Um, mm-hmm. And so we want to get into that aspect. So we're doing that. We're transitioning into talking about right. kind of what, what has it been like as a black man for you, Ryan, in relationship to your sexuality um, in this white culture? All right. So uh, disclaimer, here we go. If you go to Red Mountain Community Church, if you're listening to this uh, and you know me, uh, just get ready. Uh, because we're about to dive in. 
and if you've known me before and you don't go to Red Mountain, uh, that's all right. We're about yeah. to dive in. It's not going to be so as deep. It, so. Yeah, yeah, it's about to be intense. So uh, what this means for me in terms of my sexuality. So this is one of the things that is so fascinating um, is that as a human, you end up growing up uh, attracted to what you're around. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, that's for mm-hmm. any single thing we do. If your parents were musicians, you'll most likely have an appreciation for music, even if you're not a musician yourself. Mm-hmm. If your dad um, or your mom was in finance or in banking, then you might have an aptitude for that because you grew up around mm-hmm. it. And so for me, as a black man, I had my family that was split, um, but all the other interactions with women, um, as a and, and I'm straight, so as a straight black man, all mm-hmm. my interactions with women were typically white women um, because that's what's here in Mesa, mm-hmm. Arizona. Mm-hmm. And so my uh, preferences were somewhat uh, tailored towards uh, specifically white girls mm-hmm. because that's who all my friends were. That's mm-hmm. who was at my church. Um, that was primarily who was around in school. And those are the relationships and conversations that I had. And so this thing developed in me uh, to where somehow intuitively, I think I'll just say God, allowed me to see that and and to not completely uh, be like a Josh and say, I don't even want to talk to a black woman. Uh, but my tastes were able to, uh, taste sounds weird. Um, my preferences <laughs> were able to, to be seen uh, very earlier for me. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, and uh, the Lord kind of allowed me uh, to see lots of different girls um, as 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 beautiful or attractive, uh, just mm-hmm. at a most basic mm-hmm. level, without trying mm-hmm. to sound, you know, um, like a like a dog or like a pig or anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, in junior high, we'll start in seventh grade. I had a crush on a girl who was uh, half white, half Filipino. Um, I had uh, um, plenty of different crushes on on uh, white girls. Um, and uh, I'll jump back even farther. In second grade, uh, this is probably the first thing that I, I ever understood uh, to jump into this conversation was uh, there was a black girl uh, whose family was South African and her name was Marcella. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that all of my white friends would say in second and third grade is, Ryan, you should date Marcella. Mm-hmm. And I just knew that it was only because she was the only other black girl mm-hmm. in her class. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I thought Marcella was definitely cute, but our personalities, you know, as a se- second grade. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Don't act like you're so woke as a second know, right? grade. <laughs> you were thinking about sure. her heart. Yeah, dude. I was like, she's cute, but like, man, like Chelsea over here is really cute. Mm-hmm. And it was like, yeah, but you should date Marcella. Well, why? And then it would be this freeze, pause, uh, awkward uh. moment of, well, you guys, you know, you're both like the same. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. you guys are both, you know, like African American, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. and so uh, my my sexuality uh, developed in a um, pool of recognizing that preference wise, I was going to lead more towards white women because that's what was around. And this also leads into another hard, dark conversation, but we're going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Is uh, pornography, and mm-hmm. so I stumbled onto pornography when I was eleven. And uh, the pornography that I stumbled onto was animated. Um, and that's because my friend showed me this website that had, uh, you know, mature <laughs> stuff and mature, like, uh, I think flash cartoons were becoming super, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, big in 2005, 2006. And he exposed me to it um, when I was about 11. And that sent me on a trail of uh, searching for pornography and exploring pornography and masturbation 
Um, and I've been wrestling with that area of my life for the past uh, 14 years. Uh, but one of the things that you would see, even in pornography, is there was kind of this uh, a hailing up of, uh, of white women as mm-hmm. like the most prized mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, uh, kind of woman you could uh, engage with mm-hmm. uh, sexually. Mm-hmm. And then um, when it came to all other types of minorities, uh, black or Asian, it almost looked like a a, a power um, or a lessening of their humanity because they weren't as prized. And so for me, growing up, wrestling through pornography addiction, pornography struggle, uh, both being a black man in a black body and, and looking at white women and then looking at minority women being dismissed or degraded mm-hmm. online mm-hmm. Uh, created this really weird complex to where this is so much work with the spirit, so much work in counseling and in therapy and with friends. Uh, try to track with me if you're listening to where this has happened for me. As a black man, I came to the reality, and this is very recent for me, about two years ago of studying and praying, that I didn't want to be a white man but that I wanted to be attractive enough to white women mm-hmm. so that I, mixed in with all of that identity issue and pornography struggle, could prove myself mm-hmm. sexually worthy, sexually able, sexually mm-hmm. available for mm-hmm. a white woman. Mm-hmm. Because that, around growing up and online and pornography and all the destructiveness that that causes, was what was tailored to be my preferences sexually. And, well, and there's an aspect of that, Ryan, yeah. where... I mean, you're talking about a lot of how you've been attracted to white women because that's what you were raised around. So let's let's flip that. And most of the white women you're around were raised around white men. And so right. not any fault of their own, but they're not maybe naturally attracted to a black man because they exactly. haven't been around. It's the same reason we marry people that are like our father or marry people like our mother because uh-huh. we've just been around that personality. And so for you then, you you constantly live knowing that you're probably going to get passed up on for a girl to date this white guy um, right. or to date the, the blonde hair, blue eyes guy or exactly. a guy that Dude. comes from a more cultural background like their oh parents. Um, and so that, so yeah. for you now, wanting to realizing I don't want to be a white man, but in order to establish myself in this culture and society, the way to do that is to prove to the white women that I am right. of value. Um, and that is a fascinating thing to think through. Yeah. My gosh. Yeah. And yeah, Colton, you're absolutely right, man. Uh, back to a sixth grade anecdote. I remember <laughs> in sixth grade, all the cute white kids, right? I'd had mm-hmm. all these white friends that were girls, but we could never date. Like I could never get there. Right. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. all the cute white boys spiking their hair, getting braces, <laughs> wearing etnies, <laughs> playing baseball. Yeah. None of that was what I could do. And so, mm-hmm. well, you can't what like did I do? fundamentally, you can't spike your right. hair. Like, I can't. <laughs> you just, no. Like, yeah. But now I can get the OBJ haircut. Yeah, I have which is cool. Which fresh, is cool. Right? But but it's still blonde, so that's weird. Anyways, yeah, it's frosted uh, tips. Yeah, dude. Um, and so I remember what I what I did uh, to kind of curb over my perceived lack of physical attractiveness to girls was try to either be funny, be mm-hmm. intellectual, or mm-hmm. be really caring and be like an mm-hmm. emotional pillow for them, so that they would like I don't know move from Ryan being a friend mm-hmm. to like oh I'm attracted. Well, to Well, you're almost like the nice that. guy who's who's never really going to exactly. get the girl. But right. if he maybe if he's nice enough for long enough and wins her over with personality, he could do it. But that right. has nothing and to do then, with your sexuality as a physical as physical body. Exactly, exactly. So super, super intense stuff there. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, it, it's been a journey to work through some of that. And 
um, it's been pretty crazy in terms of how sexuality has been formed in, mm-hmm. in just my life. So, what are what are some of maybe the the stereotypes of what you feel like the black man is presented in America as in, in regards to sexuality? In regards to sexuality, okay. Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> I um, know where this is going, so I know it's a loaded question. I know, but... <laughs> dude. I know. Um, so so if we're gonna get super historical critical, uh, let's go back to the 1600s. You had this motif of the black sambo, and sambo was this archetypal figure of this kind of Neanderthal huge like um kind of really athletic but dumb pre-jock sort of black african Mm -hmm. slave Mm -hmm. and the sambo was always prowling around to go and steal the white women that was Mm -hmm. how he was portrayed in early 1600s 1800s media minstrel shows by the 1800s Mm -hmm. the the sambo was this uh stud of a physical specimen um and yet he was always supposed to be this thing that you were supposed to be away from and 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 not let your white women be captured by mm-hmm. uh, by him in, in early colonial mm-hmm. and you know into antebellum and all of those time periods. Um, and so it was uh, it's amazing to me that in a lot of ways this is still true. Um, not completely, but it is, especially in the media, how black athletes are are portrayed. You have um, uh, like the the Lamar Odom types, uh, you have uh, these black athletes that are, um, you know, athletic and, and big and, and scary, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but they tend to uh, have white girlfriends or mm-hmm. white wives mm-hmm. or half white kids, especially in soccer culture. The MLS, Major League Soccer, uh, there are so many mixed race uh, black or, or uh, African uh, soccer players that are stud athletes with white wives or white women mm-hmm. um, and, and white kids, mixed mixed kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, the stereotypes still, in this weird way, fit the Sambo. Mm-hmm. Um, you're mm-hmm. supposed to be a stud. You're supposed to be massive. Uh, the One of the sexual stereotypes is that um, you have a bigger you-know-what. Um, <laughs> and so that becomes so not real and so dehumanizing mm-hmm. uh it makes you an animal black male sexuality yeah. yes it makes you an animal and you are essentially um one up from what a slave samba was mm-hmm. uh, and, and this is what and this is what donald sterling yeah. if, if you guys know anything about donald sterling there's this great 30 for 30 espn podcast they released it kind of detailed uh his reality this it was a racist owner of the uh los angeles clippers who got ousted because of some racist comments. But as people started to reflect on it, he used to go into the locker room after Clippers games and would, like, bring his other rich white friends in with him and, like, basically, like, go around, like, look at the specimens in here and, like, Mm -hmm. look at their big biceps. And, and Mm -hmm. like, guys like Blake Griffin or Mm -hmm. um, Chris Paul or DeAndre Jordan, like, guys are going to be like, look at the – and that's, like, the, the workhorse kind of stereotype. Right. Um, But then you have the the other stereotype, which is – was still very prevalent in the early uh, 1900s um, of this is where blackface is really matters is because white actors, since they wouldn't have black actors, white actors would put on blackface and they'd play the right. role of a black man. And normally how they portrayed them was as kind of this dumb, aggressive, mm-hmm. strong mm-hmm. rapist. Um, and right. this is this is why blackface is so offensive even to this day to recreate it. It's, it's unintentional by a lot of people. They don't know the history of it. But it's because white people would use this to put 
black people in this stereotype as this animalistic rapist type thing. And so it even carries over today where it's like, you know, I know a lot of people who like white girls and friends I have that are, that are white and women, uh, they often like when they've dated mixed race guys, they're scared to bring them home to their parents. Their parents are loving Christian, whatever, but there's still like, and if, there's still this cultural taboo about it. And we, we can act like racism is dead, and that's fine if you want to believe that. But maybe, you know, maybe you can reason with me. Maybe it carried over in our sexuality a bit. If you don't want to agree that racism is still in culture at large, maybe it carried over in our sexuality where we still don't really, we're not that comfortable with a lot of mixed-race marriages, right. and there's still the the fetishization of Asian women, the over-sexualization of black men where it's almost to the point of rapists, um, right. and they're trying to rape our white women. And yep. so it, it's still there, um, even if we're not explicitly saying it, but just like the mentions you, you raise and the one I did, it's like we still see it. And yep. we, still, we still will make the joke comment about some a new black athlete or something dating the Kardashians. Like people right. will still make the tongue-in-cheek comment about why that is, and it's nothing to do with that black man's personality, <laughs> what mm-hmm. he's earned over his career. It's about mm-hmm. his physical genitalia size or yep. about this br- black prowess of athleticism has nothing right. to, it's it's a they're viewing them as a workhorse as a, right. a racing horse and not as like yeah. a human being um right. who has kind of no they they like them because they're good <laughs> it's a good guy like right. he works hard he provides and mm-hmm. and so it's still if you want to disagree about racism in America that's fine but we have to you have to acknowledge it's still in our sexuality even if it's not in our policing or prison systems, like you have to acknowledge it's still somewhat in our sexuality. Yeah. Uh, anecdote, how this affected even me. Um, when I was 18, uh, my first girlfriend uh, that I ever had, um, uh, this isn't the only reason we broke up, but it's a big <laughs> one. Uh, I had some friends sit around and, and uh, make a joke after the, the summer we graduated um, about how they felt bad for my girlfriend at the time who was white. Um, and saying, oh, I feel bad for this person, like, quote, feel bad, implied the genitalia conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that didn't come across um, as funny mm-hmm. when they said it in mm-hmm. front of her. And I wasn't paying attention in the moment. This is how I remember it. Maybe I was 18 and super dumb still. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm 26, so I can't be too much smarter. Um, <laughs> Your brain is fully developed at 25, so you are utterly yeah, mature yeah, now. Frontal. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, dude, that's how it works. Um, and, and, uh, that conversation is so hilarious to me because it kind of sums up that it still matters. And even your well-intentioned, I wouldn't even say well-intentioned, even your friends who make stupid jokes that regard to, uh, black sexuality and sexualized, uh, stereotypes, uh, can have really legitimate impact and, and, and create, uh, this, I don't know how else to say it, but uncomfortable sense of how to think about sexuality and that led to a yeah. larger conversation where he eventually broke up but um well it's not it's not complimentary man. to you of like right. wow look at what ryan's worked for he has these strong muscles or he's this large person sure. it, it's this again it's this animalistic and we don't want to root everything in slavery but it sounds like you know it's like we're viewing these specimens the on the block and yeah. it's like which one is the biggest and right. we're gonna t- that's what we're gonna talk about we're I'm just gonna, gonna view them one. as purely animalistic physical um, and that still plays. I and mean, if you, if you want to sit here and act like you've never heard that comment about right. a black man um, and his uh-huh. and his genitalia size, exactly. then either you have been living under a rock, um, mm-hmm. or you live in a community that is. Ball. Yeah, <laughs> you are Patrick Star. You are Patrick Star <laughs> and living under a rock. Um, right. 
or you've been in a culture that's that's gone pretty lengths and bounds further than my culture has or my areas have. So like kudos to your culture, but so but think about what that does to your psyche if you're listening as a, as a physical person. Think of the same thing that it does to to women when we objectify them, when we talk about their their chest size or their their the different things about their body, their their hip size, the skinniness, the whatever, all the different things we nitpick about women. Imagine all the narratives we're telling them about their self-worth, about yeah. who they are, through how we're just talking about them. And so yeah. when we only talk about black men as either pure physical specimens, they can either beat you at basketball or run faster than you or rape mm-hmm. you, then yep. what what are yep. we telling them about how we see them truly in God's image? Um, it's almost a very distorted distorted view. Right. Um and so, Ryan, maybe we can talk on this a little bit. Maybe you don't have the most well thought out, but what about for black women? Um, we're focusing mostly on black male body image, um, but maybe we can take yeah. a little second and talk a little bit about what, how are black women perceived um, in cultures, and specifically, let's say, your culture, predominantly white, and mm-hmm. how, how is that negative? How is mm-hmm. that different than how black men are perceived, and why does mm-hmm. that matter? Yeah. So, man... It's hard. Uh, black women in a predominantly white culture, well, first, don't get talked about almost at all. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't, my friends and I uh, almost never even bring up black women, at least out in the open. And so uh, that's something that is. And very, you're talking specifically like romantically or yeah, sexually. Yeah. Like, it's never like, oh, there's Marcella, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm, the girl from second right? grade. No yep. one's saying, hey, Chad, because that's a very white name. Hey, Chad, have you thought about dating Marcella? And that's they're normally never even yep. brought into the conversation. Not even brought into the conversation, and so there's sort of this avoidance uh, um, and this not really wanting to take them seriously. Uh, anytime you see a black female uh, step up, speak up, uh, um, you know, get uh, be expressive. That's one of the things about uh, being a black American and even Africans. Uh, you're expressive. Uh, it's not, people are going to tell you how they feel. Like black people are going to tell you what they think, what they feel. They're going to see it. You're going to see it mm-hmm. on their face. You're going to see it in their conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, even for me, I've worked through a lot of emotional suppression and trying to become expressive. But in terms of like my white friends that I've had, I've been more expressive. Yeah, you than are, a lot of you are way more <laughs> emotionally expressive, even though I yeah. know you're still emotionally repressive in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know me, but I'm still like, light years ahead because that's Mm -hmm. culturally that Mm -hmm. makes sense for us Mm -hmm. and so when black women are the least expressive they're angry the Mm -hmm. angry black woman and and you don't want a powerful angry black woman right Mm -hmm. um because that isn't going to give you clout that's not going to be easy that's not Mm -hmm. going to be uh the prized uh possession okay Mm -hmm. and if we're looking back at slavery we're looking back at uh all the things that we just talked about they were essentially just used for breeding and mm-hmm. rape happened to them by white masters all the time. And so there's been a incredible amount of dismissiveness of the black woman and her body image. And the best we can do, uh, and especially in uh, heterogeneous or homogenous cultures, uh, like, a, like a white mesa, is like, look at a National Geographic magazine, magazine mm-hmm. and uh, see like, you know, topless African women. Mm-hmm. And other than that, there is like almost no humanization um i think of a lot of african-american women other than being angry mm-hmm. and being out mm-hmm. or being dismissed because sexually you don't even have you know you don't got to see the table of this this yeah. sexual conversation yeah 
Exactly. And so, you know, there's, there's, there's fetish mixed in with that. There's, um, mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. been white that I've seen this. There has been white men who want the clout so bad to be black, um, mm-hmm. right. That they date black women. Uh, but even the women that they chose to date that were black were either half looked like Beyonce, uh, more, they, they wore their hair straight. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my mm-hmm. uh, black friends in high school mm-hmm. said that, uh, he doesn't like perms and that if he was ever going to think about dating a black girl, she better straighten her hair. Mm-hmm. And so even that, this isn't very thought there. I'm just rambling, but there's almost not even a, a humanization at all mm-hmm. in this conversation, especially in all white areas. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they're really, they're really, I mean, in my experience and growing up in a white culture, and again, this is, this is me and Ryan speaking about predominantly Mesa and our experience right. within Mesa. This is not, for all places and all peoples and all cultures. Um, but we, we think there is some carryover to other, other places. Um, but it, it's kind of like they're, they're not even talked about unless you're, you're right. They're like half, um, and they're straight in their hair. So they, they look maybe more culturally white. Um, but I think there's another aspect of it where you have like the guys, the white guys who become woke and they're right. almost just trying to marry a minority girl to add diverse clout, like diversity clout, to their like arena this is like why you know some guys try to marry a a smart girl who's you know can talk because they're trying to it's like a lot of like white christian pastors i'm not gonna say a lot that's over maybe overstating it but white christian pastors will marry girls who are outspoken and can teach and can Mm -hmm. articulate and lead because it's adding to their empire of uh, yeah of their image of leadership Mm -hmm. um and i think in the same way in some ways it can be and i'm not saying this is necessarily a bad thing but it's either we don't talk about them or the ones that do pursue them, it might just not even be they're pursuing them because they're like awesome, or they're like made in the image of God, or they're worthy of love, or they're worthy of attraction. But because it gives me something in my image, and this plays exactly. out in white to white relationships as well, and, and other types of relationships. But regardless, th- this is not a this is a human being. And imagine if you're telling her, I'm either only adding you to my life romantically because either mm-hmm. you look more white, or because you're adding to my diversity image that I'm trying to present. And what right. is that going to tell them about right. who they are and what their identity and their value is? And I think yeah. it, again it's, it, it's yeah, it's it's the not it's a token. Um I mean even thinking about like sometimes when I speak on matters of race, it's like I I feel like there's a part of me that wants to say, well, I can say this cuz I have a black friend Ryan, you know, he lives in Mesa. <laughs> like there's there's a tokenness. <laughs> well, I give you permission to say Ryan. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You can't say all black people everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, cuz there's this there's this tokenness to it of yeah. hey, I'm I'm cool. This is adding to my image, so I'm going to be friends with these people cuz it adds to my image. But maybe there's we're missing the genuineness of just hey, we don't need to it's just with Kanye. We the liberals hijacked him and like would claim Kanye, he'd speak out when it was good for them. And now that he's speaking more maybe Republican supporting, now Republicans mm-hmm. are jumping on him saying like, "Oh, now Kanye's on our side." And it's just right. this token grabbing on either side just trying uh-huh. to find you know, a, a black influential person to support their agenda. And we do this again, we do this with other races and we do this with white people, but we have to be thinking critically as Christians, what is this portraying about our image of, of God in these people? What is this showing the world about how we're viewing people? If we, as a, as a church only date our same race in the midst of being in a culture that is very uh, mixed race, what right. are we telling the greater culture about how we view other races and their dignity and value and worth? And when our churches are so segregated, um, not only across, you know, 
cultural and ethnic lines, but sexual lines were segregated because you don't see many mixed race kind of couples in the churches often, um, especially in very homogenous right. areas. What are we saying to the outside world that we're only finding our kin, our kind, attractive? Um, we right. we are only focusing on the physical as well, just like the rest of culture. We're not actually looking at things that are deeper um, value things. So I guess within that, Ryan, um, if you if there was a, another black man or black woman um, or even a, a, another person of color listening to this podcast right now um, and maybe have been struggling with some of the same thoughts and questions and have some of the same story that you have, what would be your hope to them um, that you could offer them in their journey? Yeah, my, my hope for, for any of you guys that are listening here um, uh, that are, that are uh, you know, minority or even mixed race uh, in, your, in your congregation or just, um, just trying to figure this out in America is that you would recognize that, um, man, I'm going to go pastor hat. Here it comes. Put on your pastor uh, hat. When, when you look at Revelation uh, 2.17, uh, to the one who conquers, they'll receive a white stone with their name on it, their true name that only they'll know. Uh, and I love that idea and that image. And, you know, depending on your convictions, you can take that literally or not. But you are a unique and loved and wonderful human being. And the ways you choose to express uh, the things that you're gifted at, the, the relationships that you choose, the people that are around you and the community that you find yourself in it is important and it matters. And as much as there's going to be uh, westernized, Americanized white um, pressure for you to be, act, look, think, or fit into a certain mold, fight against that with all that you can because you are not going to be colonized anymore. Um, you can't live like that. Um, and you can absolutely have the freedom that we both find in Jesus and just in, in the fact that you're a human uh, to pursue the things that you love and pursue the people that you love. But at the same time, what I don't want you to do is to completely dismiss the reality of your historical narrative, whether you're Asian, whether you're black, whether you're um, uh, uh, Middle Eastern, whether you're uh, South Asian, indigenous peoples, indigenous do not dismiss the fact that you have a story and it matters and it actually needs to be addressed uh, and looked at. Don't take colorblind. Don't take that BS answer um, because you're beautiful and you've been made a certain way and you carry a story that God actually knows and remembers and has recorded in history. Mm -hmm. And here's the reality. When we look at Revelation 5, 9, we see that all tribes, tongues, ethnic groups, and peoples are represented at the end of the age to worship the, the slain lamb. And so when we go into the new heavens and the new earth, it's going to be very, very colorful in terms of humanity. And mm -hmm. Jesus is not about, are you going to be, quote, American black enough? <laughs> what Jesus is, is, hey, did you fight for justice for others and for yourself? And did you believe me and trust me in your identity? And did you speak and, and move into places of healing uh, when you were invited? That's the real conversation there. And so my hope for you is to wrestle with that, to think about it. Don't be a Josh and dismiss it. Don't be a Zach and think the only way you can be accepted is to be that person that fits every mold of stereotype. Mm -hmm. um, but look deeply at who you are and your convictions and your identity and look at your history and yet still choose to live in the freedom that you have as a image bearer of God. And uh, if you are a believer as a follower of Jesus. Yeah. 
And as a coming from a white man's perspective, I think if I could offer hope even in this, um, which I mean, honestly, who cares <laughs> in some ways about our opinions, Ryan? Um, oh, but man. I mean, if I can offer hope, it's like, man, I don't, I don't want you to have to change your hairstyle. I don't have to let you change your clothing. I don't have to change no. your culture or change your background or change how boisterous you are. Because mm-hmm. I mean, no one's gonna tell me to stop being so Italian. Like, no one's going to tell me nope. to stop eating pizza. No one's going to tell me to stop, you know, nope. yelling and talking with my hands and saying everything like I actually mean it just when I don't really. And sweating out. constantly because I eat so many <laughs> carbs and just red meat um, and tomato sauce. Um, no one's going to tell me to do that. No one's going to tell me to say be less emotional. So why should mm-hmm. anyone tell you? Um, when people right. have found the beauty in Italian culture and everyone wants to visit Italy and see Rome and experience the culture... Why can't we have that same viewpoint of of black culture, of black women and of black men? So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not everyone. I'm not even full on a pastor yet. Um, Ryan is a full on a pastor. But if, if you're listening to this and you're struggling, like know that we see you, we value you. I mean, you don't have Absolutely. to change what God has crafted either through your cultural context, through your ethnic context or through your family context. Like you don't have to necessarily be someone different to be loved by God. So why should we ever tell you you have to be someone different to be loved by his church? Um, and so speaking of church, Ryan, what would be yeah. what would be your hope for the Christian church um, and kind of approaching this, maybe specifically focusing on how we talk about dating and sexuality, um, but right. I know other factors are playing that as a whole, but what would be your hope for the church um, in, in regards to black male body image? Right. Uh, my hope for the church is that you see me. Um, uh, propaganda uh, and uh, uh, a song called Precious Puritans uh, calls <laughs> you see out my this, skin uh, uh-huh. he calls out this <laughs> hypothetical pastor and he says you see my skin and I see yours and it's beautiful so for the church my hope and prayer and I do this all the time I, I, I'm wired this way I, I have a little bit of edge to me when it comes to this conversation because I like to stir the pot and I like to get people to think even if I haven't thought through completely myself i'm kind of a little bit <laughs> impulsive that way um, welcome to podcasting exactly <laughs> uh, uh i i jump in and i have that ability to sit and literally in almost all white staff and talk about blackness at any given time and a lot of my staff loves to do that and 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 they're grateful for it and a lot of people that i've met and had coffees with in conversations in my church have taken me up on on a phone call or taken me up on a coffee or taken me up on a conversation or a dinner. I've sat in plenty of homes and tables and had plenty of meals to talk about this. And I recognize not everybody does that um, and can do that or is wired that way like me. But my hope is for for pastors, for churches, uh, especially for youth groups and young adult groups where this is something that's almost never talked about, Mm -hmm. is that you talk about it. And do not make your few or if you have a lot, um, of, of mixed race and uh, 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 a mixed ethnicity congregation, don't tokenize. Yeah. Please do not make that man or woman that is the ethnic person on staff or that group of people that are or that family mm. that is, don't make them somehow all of a sudden uh, the, the experts in all things culture, the experts in all things racial reconciliation, the experts on all things um, uh, conversation and, and diversity and, mm-hmm. and leading that. Uh, some are, some people are, are empowered to do that. I would say the Lord has given me that and is working that out in me. And I believe that's part of my future ministry. And it's actually what I'm doing right now, just on the ground level, unofficially. That's just what I do. It's part of who I am. But my hope for the church is that you would craft into conversation, lead from the front. If you are a, a mainly white church, 
um, and, and actually set space to have those conversations and to ask questions and not just to uh, say you have the conversation, but find ways to implement, find, find ways to take the people on the margins, find ways to take the people who you know are going to have this really Fox News answer that might just uh, completely dismiss an entire argument and go into the hard place with Jesus, take up your cross and mm-hmm. sit in it. Because another thing that propaganda always says in his songs <laughs> is let it sit. So don't move too quickly beyond mm-hmm. it because mm-hmm. that's not how God works. Mm-hmm. And it's because we need time. Yeah. Well, and a part of that is you can have, you know, your mixed race or, or black students or people in your congregation speak on these issues, but you they can also speak on other things. Like right. <laughs> it's the same thing with like minority, sexual minority Christians, gay Christians, lesbian right. Christians, where it's like we're going to ask them to speak, but we're only going to always ask them to speak on this one yeah, topic. They can only come to the panel. Because that is, yeah, that is a church trying to be, yeah, more understanding and more woke and more diverse. Yeah. But I think the true way to diversity is treating them as a true equal and not just letting them only speak in their arena of blackness or their arena of gayness or their arena of this minority yeah. thing that I don't yeah. understand as a straight white male. Um, yeah, don't monetize the fact that yeah. they're all... <laughs> That's. Yeah. I mean, it's what we're doing with Kanye. Yeah. It's what we do with a lot of uh, uh, black people where it's just like, as right. soon as they agree with our viewpoint, let's put them on a yeah. video, let's put them on a poster, let's put them on the stage. Right. Um, right. It's like, what if we let them speak before we fully mm-hmm. know if they agree with us? I know. Yeah. Uh, just to say, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you're good. That's what I was going to say. Uh, just to add to that, I, I'd even say to, to personalize my future hope for the church is, dude, I hope my kids, whether I marry someone who's black and, and they're uh, like, you know, 80% because I'm actually not 100% freaking, you know, 23 and me. Okay, well then we're going to wipe this whole post. podcast. You can't you yeah, can't no, talk about I, it anymore. I know. 36%. I'm only 25% Italian, so well, 25% Sicilian. So, I yeah. mean, I can't even really speak to that. Yeah. Um, I would just say my hope for for me is that one day if I continue graduate education is that when I speak at, you know, uh, churches, if I ever get to go and speak at churches or if I get to, you know, uh, speak in my community in, in a different way outside of like a youth group, um, that I'm not just the invited person to only talk about blackness. I would love to, <laughs> but I hope that I can talk about, you know, pastoral theology or the Holy Spirit or culture of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And I hope my kids, if they choose to to study something one day, that they don't feel the pressure to always be the expert of racial reconciliation. It's like, look, future kid, um, let's go ahead and name him uh, Carmelo. Z- Carmelo, yeah. Hey, Carmelo Pouchette. <laughs> you That's what I want to name my son. That's why I said one, it. Dog. Yeah. Go ahead and study microbiology. Mm-hmm. You have that right, dude. You do not have to be the next Martin Luther King. Okay? So, okay. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait to show this to him one day um, and tell him, hey. I really hope I don't name him Carmelo. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm going to name my boy. Carmelo, right. Carmelo Mio. Um, anyway, Ryan, <laughs> this has been good. Um, I hope this is helpful for people. Um, it was helpful for me, and I'm sure it'll be helpful for a lot of people. Um, and for those who disagree and those who don't get it and don't understand, that's okay. Um, but maybe talk to someone else who's a minority or person of color in your community and maybe see what they have to think. Um, and maybe we're right, um, and they'll confirm that, or maybe we're wrong. Um, but regardless, the hope is to have conversation. Um, and so I hope this did that for you. So thank you again, Ryan. We hope that Ryan's words today encouraged you in your sexuality, encouraged you in your body image, and gave you hope for your ethnic background. 
Also, if you ever have any questions or feedback or topics that you want us to discuss and you want to get a hold of us, we have an email listed in the podcast notes that you can email um, and send us your thoughts. So please go on and do that, um, and we'll hopefully incorporate that into some of the podcasts in the future. And as always, may the God of hope fill you all with joy and peace in believing, so by the power of the Holy Spirit, we abound. Amen.